0: Welcome to another inspirational podcast from Abundant Life Church, where we believe that God is a good God. He loves you and he wants to bless you. Now join us as we dive into today's message. It was exciting to be with you. Have we been having church here this past month or what in these services? I mean, we've been having church. How many have been out on Wednesday nights? Some of you are looking at me. Well, you're just trying to get us to come out on Wednesday night. Yeah, I am. I really am. But not for the reason you think. Wednesdays are life changing. Amen. We've been, we've been having some incredible meetings take place, and in the, in the miracles and the testimonies that are coming in are mind boggling to me over and over again. Praise God. And God is still on the throne, He's still in charge. In spite of what it looks like in the government and what it looks like in society and what it looks like with all that's going on, God's still in charge. Come on, tell somebody, say, God's got it under control. (laughs) Sometimes it doesn't seem like it, but you know, I'm sure they, whenever over in Egypt, they were wondering where God was, but he had a plan. I said, he had a plan. Some of you right now, what's going on in the economy? You're going, where's God? He's got a plan. Don't get nervous. He's got it under control. Amen. For those of you who don't know who I am, I'm Bishop Rick Thomas. I used to be the senior pastor here. <laughs> and I thank God for the privilege to be able to sit under the teaching in the ministry of my son and his wife. We're blessed. I want to take you through some things today. The Lord gave us a word for this year, and the, the word of the Lord was greater, where he said to us, it's the glory coming from the Lord who is that spirit, transformed us into his likeness in an even greater degree of glory. It's a season that we're going to move into a greater degree of God's glory. It'll be a season that God spoke to us of transition, all things will become new. It will be a season of growth and stewardship. Required. It will be a season of influence and favor for success. But he said something very unique that we've been dealing with. And he said that this season right now is a quarter. The first quarter is the quarter that we will position ourselves. Everybody say position. Positioning. Now positioning, he says, through prayer and fasting, which we have been doing that this year. But then warfare, spiritual warfare will intensify and your faith will be tried. He said, and your faith will be tried. Now, one of the things that we get mixed up sometimes is we try and take what God says to us by his spirit and put it into a natural mindset, which is the first mistake we make. So I want to help you all with some things right now because I want to take us to a place today that is going to reposition us for what God has for this year. We're in that first quarter, it's positioning, and we're going into spiritual warfare. And if you're not in the right position, I, you can quote all you want the scriptures, you're not going to win. I said, you've got to be in the right position, amen? Yeah. And if you're in the right position, then you, you're, you're ready for war. But if you're not in the right position, you can, you can claim every promise in the book is mine and say nothing manifested. And that's the problem with the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is we've had a tendency to quote a lot of things but not live a lot of things. Come on, stay with me now. And so I want to talk to you about our mindset as children of God. As we move into today, I'm going to talk about dealing with the the Goliath that is in your life. And if you're taking notes, just put this down just on the side. But the Goliath in your life is the doorway to your treasure. The Goliath that you face, and you're going to meet many Goliaths along the way, but every Goliath is a doorway into God's blessing and treasure for you. You're going to have to face the giant. Come on, tell somebody, you have to face the giant. We have a society that is so woke in our thinking, we run away from dealing with the problem. So much so that we try, and we're so caught up in it, we try and justify the problem. And unfortunately, the church has taken that mindset in so many ways that we're changing our theology to accommodate the tragedy. You can't change theology, you can't change the Word of God just to try and so you can feel good about your failure or about what's going on in the world system today or try and justify something of that nature. And so, we want to talk about this today. Because we're going to deal with some things that I think are very, very important. When we talk about positioning, our position in life is always found in one's heart and not in one's location. I said our position in life is always found in the heart of a person, not their location. Yes. Their location does not identify who they are. Their heart identifies who they are. The Bible says that God looks at the heart. He says that as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. See, Jesus' position in the kingdom did not change because he hung on a cross. Come on, stay with me, folks. But we have a tendency to allow circumstances to so come upon us that we look at our position in the world rather than our position in God. The Bible says, God says, I'm the Lord God and I change not. Let me say that again. He said, I'm the Lord God and I change not. I don't know how how that registers with you or not, but that means just because you got a problem doesn't mean he's changing. Just because everything's not going the way that you want it to doesn't mean that God's changed. See, it's important to understand when Adam and Eve were put in the garden and they failed, God hadn't changed. Oh, Lord, help me here. Just because you failed doesn't mean God has changed. If you fail, then you've got to get back up and get in position. Because God, come on, say, God's not changed. See, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. First John 4, 4 says something to us. I want us to get us into our mindset. And if we put that up on the screen. First John 4, 4, he says, But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the Spirit who lives in you is greater than the Spirit who is in the world. The spirit that lives in you is greater than the spirit that is in the world. Let that register for a moment. Do not let it be a a little cliche. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. What does that mean? As a child of God, it says, when I receive Jesus Christ, he says, all all the old things pass away and all things become new. He says to us that the same spirit is in Christ, is in us. Look at, look at over in, if you would please, into uh, Psalms 23. Y'all can quote it, but let's put it on the screen. Psalm 23 says to us, and we all can quote this, The Lord is my shepherd. I have all I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me besides peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk. Let me go down here and read this. (laughs) See, this is the part we don't like. Even when I walk through the darkest valley. Someone said, wait a minute, darkest valley. Well, let me see. This church has been through a lot of valleys. We've had people that stole we had people that tried to split we've had people to try and destroy we've had people say things that are not true we've gone through the economy that's failed in 08, 09 we moved in here then we went through COVID Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. hello (laughs) but the funny part is We've never been afraid. For God, you're close beside me. Your rod and your staff protecting comfort me. Keep going. Let's go. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My, my cup overflows with blessing. I don't have time to teach on that. Go on. Why wouldn't you teach on that? Because people don't understand the cup has nothing to do with water. The Hebrew word there is your money bag. But we don't like to talk about that because we don't believe in Christians prospering because all you want is our money. But when you've got so much money it's flowing out of the bag, you don't know what's gone and what isn't gone. Goodness and mercy or goodness and unfailing love or mercy will pursue me all the days of my life and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Now you notice this goodness and unfailing love And one translation says mercy shall follow me. Most of us are trying to find it. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be finding you. That's right. yeah. Yeah. Amen, why? Because we're not a people who looks for goodness and mercy. That's not my assignment. My assignment is not to look for goodness and mercy. My assignment is to fulfill what God's called me to do and goodness and mercy's assignment to follow me. Now, as we look at this, we understand something. He talks about going through the valley of the shadow of death. But our position is not found in our location, but it's found in our heart. Do you really believe what we just read? Do you really believe greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world? Do you really believe that the 23rd Psalm is reality to you? You claim to be a believer. You claim to say, I believe every word. I believe every word in this book. Yes, I do. Well, why don't you live like it? I found out a long time ago, you only do what you believe in. You'd have never sat in that chair if you didn't think it would hold you up. In fact, you'd be standing there going, don't sit down there. That chair might not hold you. Be careful. But you didn't think about it. You came and just plopped right down. You didn't think one thing about it. Because you knew that chair. You know why? Because you acted on what you believed. And if it didn't hold you up, you'd go, wait a minute. Where's the nutshell? What's wrong with these people? They need to get that chair fixed. Why? Because chairs are designed for us to sit in. Let's move on. We'll let that go. Look at Romans chapter 8, Verse 11. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. The Spirit of Christ, now we're talking, you say, well, I thought we were getting some spiritual warfare today. man. I was all ready to take on the, you can't, you're not ready for the devil yet. You've got to have some understanding. You've got to stay in position I can take you to scripture and show you where people try to cast devils out and they said, we don't know you. Yeah, right. Come on, stay with me, church. But this says we got to come to a belief place. And we have to believe our position is that the spirit of Christ is in us. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. You understand, we have the ability to to experience the same resurrected power Jesus did when they brought him from the dead. Only you get to experience it in life. That's exciting to me. Watch this now. Let's go over to, to verse 31 through 39. Who, or what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, but I'm in the valley, but God is for me. I'm having a tough time, but God is for me. Well, it don't seem like God's for me. It's not about what it seems like. It's about what I believe in my position to where I know that God is for me. If God be for us, who can ever be against us? Next verse. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us? I don't want anything from God. Really? I don't want anything from anyone. I'm my own person. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of in my life. It makes no sense. Let me try and give you an example. Hey, buddy, how old are you? Yeah. How old are you? 13. What's your name? Come here, Junior. You mind if I talk to him? You mind? Is this your family? Okay, can I talk to him? When you came here, did you want something from me today? Did you come over here asking me for stuff? I kind of felt like you did. So you don't want nothing from me, do you? You really don't want anything from me, do you? Because you don't know me well enough to want anything, right? See, that's the problem. We don't know somebody well enough. We don't know what we want from them. See what I'm saying? But if I did this, I've got a $100 bill here. You want it? do you notice something here? He had to come over and get in position to receive, and he had to come to a place that, wait a minute, I do want that. Come on, tell somebody, to say, you got to get to the place, you go, I want all things. Oh, Lord, I mean, next verse. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies or declared righteous. Next verse. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. Furthermore, is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Next verse. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall so tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, I think that covers it all, folks. Next verse. As it is written, for your sakes, we were killed all day long. That's what they used to say in the Old Testament. We were counted as sheep for the slaughter. But next verse. Yet in all these things we were more than conquerors through him who loved us. What is my position? Yeah, I am positioned to conquer. I am positioned to receive. I'm in position to be what God created me to be. I'm in position that even in the valley, goodness and mercy is looking for me. I'm in position that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead will resurrect me out of anything the enemy tries to bring into my life. Any death, anything he brings causes a resurrection power to come out of me because of my position. That's not the sermon, by the way. Isaiah 54, 17. For the iniquity of his covetousness, I was angered and struck him. I hid and was angry. And he went out backsliding in the way of what? No weapon formed against you. Excuse me? No weapon against you shall prosper. Every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. What is your inheritance? Let's go back to the first part of this verse. But in that coming day, no weapon turned against you will succeed. You will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. These benefits are enjoyed by the, next verse, the Lord and their righteousness. Now he's saying something here. He's saying to us, part of our heritage is that no weapon the enemy has has a right to prosper against you. But he says something else is a part of your heritage. You have to condemn it. Most of us, in the name of Jesus, I take authority. No, just condemn it. Say, I don't receive that. That's wrong. Get Leave. We're running around here pleading the blood, and I, and I believe in the blood. So don't go out of here and say, I do believe in that. Do not, do not go out of here and misquote me. But my job is not pleading the blood. My job is when something's not of God, just to say, I declare that wrong. I got to speak against it. That's part of my heritage. When, when we were in the old property years ago on 1500 State Road 7 in our first building, we had a bookstore there. In that bookstore, we had a lady by the name of Barbara Strickland who'd been with us for years, a wonderful lady who ran the bookstore. Great lady. In fact, she just befriended me on Facebook now, so we're back in contact. And uh, my daughter at the time, Heather, was about three years old. And she walked into the bookstore and she started picking stuff up because we had stuff for kids and stuff. And she started loading it up, man. So Barbara says to her, now, Heather, you're not supposed to be doing that. She looked up at Barbara and said, my dad owns this place. I can do what I want to do. Of course, Barbara was smarter than to say that's fine as long as your dad's got the money to pay for it. But you're looking at me kind of strange. When are you going to look at the enemy and say, wait a minute, my dad owns this place? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to condemn this right here. I'm going to tell you right now. You're not going to stop me from getting what's in the bookstore for me that my dad owns who said it was mine. And he's already paid for it. Yeah. Heritage. Everybody say Heritage. Still not preaching. We're going to be here a long time today. I hope these classes are, I'm joking. <laughs> Let's go over to Psalms 37, verses 23 through 25. That's where we want to be. Got there a while ago, a little early, but. The steps of good men are ordered by the Lord. Steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. In other words, if I'm in position, God will direct me where to go. Amen. Watch this now. He delights in his way. Next verse. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. Next verse. I've been young and now old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging for bread. Look what he says. I might get knocked down, but he's going to hold me up. My steps have been ordered of the Lord. If I'm in the position God called me to be in, the righteous will not be forsaken, and their seed will not be begging for bread. I was not designed to be a beggar. I was designed to rule and reign with Jesus. How do I know that? Because when Jesus saved me, he said he seated me with him in heavenly places. And where is Jesus? He's at the right hand of the Father. I wasn't designed to live in hell. I was designed to live in heaven. Our problem is we've been hanging out with the peasants so long, we don't know how to act like kings. Get in the world system. Let all those peasants who know nothing about the kingdom of God tell us how to live, how to act, how to respond. And, and, and they have total control. So say, wait a minute, I, I just condemned that. In the name of my heritage says I can condemn that. I'm not going along with that. I'm not getting out of position. Just because the economy is going sideways doesn't mean I have to go sideways. Just because wokeness is driving people crazy. Just because the LBG community thinks they're ruling everything. I could care less. Somebody, aren't you bothered by them? Not at all. I love everybody. But I don't agree with everybody. And I condemn anything that goes against the Word of God. Praise God! But no, we want to go out. And we, we we want to go out and march. Really? Really? Why don't you come in here and march? Have something to march about. See, we get so caught up with the moment we forget that we transcend the moment. We have to transcend that moment. That moment does not control me. My position does not have authority over and identify who I am. Who I am, my position in Christ is who I am. I'm positioned as a child of God. I'm positioned as a chosen generation. I'm positioned to rule and reign with Jesus. I want you to know my position is above and not below. Heard someone today, a minister, I couldn't believe it. I I was early, I get up early in the morning a lot of time and and I like to listen to other preachers. Because sometimes they say stuff that maybe make me go back and reevaluate myself. You know what I'm saying? We always have to examine. But this one preacher, I won't mention his name. He got up, he said, we're going to have a lesson today on that we're not seeking to be winners. We're going to seek to be at the end of the line. And he read the thing, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. We need to seek being last. I thought, my God, what Bible is he reading. And he took off on this thing, and I, I stood up in my. I'm sorry, my, my wife didn't wake up. I stood up going, I don't believe this. <laughs> I shared this a while back, but it fits for. And I'm, now I'm going get ready to get my message. I'm not yet, but I'm getting there. Because I've got to tell you these things before you get to the message. I thought you were talking about Goliath. I'm getting to Goliath. We were on the plane. I was on a plane several months ago, and his family got on the plane. The little kid comes up. I'm in the first class up there, and I'm sitting in the first class seating. And, and uh, this little kid comes up. Couldn't have been three years old hardly. When well, I'm just sitting down the seat, and I'm on the mom and "Oh no, no, we're not sitting here." We, we and the boy goes, "No, no, we're we're in the back back here." And I thought, "You're, I understand what you're saying because you didn't have the money to buy the seat or the mileage to be able to do that." You know, sometimes you get a lot of travel miles, which I'm very fortunate to do, and I use them all the time. But even if I didn't, I'd get the money to go or I wouldn't fly. That's just me. Too old. I kind of like being sucked up too sometimes. <laughs> I know that bothers people. But hey, I'm not the pastor. And I thought to myself, why didn't they say to the young boy, "This is not our seat today, but one day it will be"? It says, hey, this is not our seat. We belong in the back." No, you don't. You know why? The little boy knew he didn't belong in the back. He's got to be taught to go to the back. See, we need to be careful. Maybe you're not in a you're not you're not where you can buy a first class seat now. But every time you walk by, I say, "I'm getting ready to sit here." Why? Because the, the the poverty mindset that's coming to the churches. We accept sitting in the back of the bus. I'm not designed for that. I'm not even happy back there. I've never been happy. Ever yeah, you happy back there with three people? And usually they put me between two people. And they just take over the armrest, and here I am. <laughs> My wife and I went to Israel. and We got stuck that way. I thought. I, I said, Lord, have mercy. Never again. I know this is the land that we all need to go to, but I ain't going again this way. (laughs) Why? Because you're not designed for that. I'm messing somebody up. Well, I'm trying to be humble. Wrong place, wrong time. Don't go to heaven if you're trying to be humble. It's going to be difficult, very difficult being humble. See, our humility that we call what is humility is down low. Humility in God is obedience. Humility in God is not taking yourself down, but it's believing that you are who God said that you are. Amen. See, I humble myself under the hand of God, and I know that all I am is what God has created me to be, but for me not to be what God created me to be is foolish. And he created you to rule and reign with him. If you don't believe that, then you don't believe the Bible. Because when Jesus comes back, even the angels are subject to us. And then we write books about angels. We're following angels all over the place. They're subject to us. Tell your angel what to do. Quit. Stop it. Anyway. what am I telling you this? I'm trying to put you in a position here. That greater is he that's in you than is in the world. Put you in a position here that the Lord is your shepherd, even in the, in the, in the valley. You're not, just because you're in the valley, that's not your position that greater is he that's in you that, that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, no matter where you are, whether you're in a hospital bed or whether you're in a, in a place where you just they just told you your business went bankrupt, God said the same spirit that is in you that raised Christ from the dead will resurrect anything you put your hand on. Don't accept defeat. Paul said, I got knocked down, but I got back up. Oh, Lord, how mercy. He said, we're more than conquerors. No weapon formed against us, our heritage. So we have a right to condemn that which tries to destroy us. And he said that the righteous would never be forsaken. Now, with that in mind, let's talk about positioning real quick. Because one of the things we need to understand about position is when you understand your position is of the heart and not of your location, it changes everything. And we can go in a lot of different ways. We can look at Joseph that that once he got a dream, they threw him in a pit, but his position didn't change. Sold him into slavery, but his position didn't change. Got lied about being sexual uh, predator, but his position didn't change. Got forgotten in in jail, but his position didn't change. But see, when you don't change position, God says that I am going to take that crooked path and make it straight. Just hang in there. If i be for you, who can be against you? Do not give up on the position I put you in. We have a story in the book of Samuel that deals with David, now we're into our sermon. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 16, it says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go, and I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for for I have provided myself a king amongst his sons. Famous story. We know that story. We know that story. So when he gets there, and Jesse, he meets Jesse, and God says to him when he begins to converse with him, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at the appearance or at the physical statue because I have refused him for I the Lord does not see and man sees. For God looks at the, look at the outward appearance for the Lord looks at the heart. So he rejected the first elder brother. Now, you're going to know there's eight brothers here. Now, here they come, and they get in front of the prophet, and the prophet goes, no, nope, that's not him. Nah, that's not him. Oh, no. And it's funny, if you read the first three he talked about were the elders of the tribe, of the boys, and when you get over there, we're going to get over in a moment, and you get into the battle, it was those three boys that were giving David a hard time which tells you about why they couldn't be king because of their attitude and spirit. So he goes down the line and he finds he gets to the last son because they marched them in. Listen, he marched all the boys in before the prophet, but he left one boy out in the pasture with the sheep. Anybody been to Israel? Anybody been to Israel? No? Okay, remember the shepherd? They're your stink, don't they? I'm telling you right now, you get around people who've been around sheep, you don't want to be around long. This is something my wife has worked on. She still hasn't forgiven me yet, but in order to get to heaven, she's got to let it go sometime. We were in Israel. We had 98 people, two buses. We got this one place, there was a shepherd out there. We called him over and we called him on the bus. He got on the bus, and it was so bad. I ran to the back of the bus, and my wife was trapped in the front of it. Y'all need to pray for her. She hasn't forgiven me yet, but anyway. (laughs) So they call this boy in who's been out with the sheep. Why did he do that? Because he was the only son left and the prophet knew that one of those boys was supposed to be anointed king. The first seven were not, this had to be him. And I don't care what he smelt like. I don't care what he looked like. God said, don't look at the outward appearance. Come and look at the person. They say, thank God he doesn't look at our outward appearance. <laughs> we judge people by that all the time, don't we? Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Huh? We had we had a we had a, uh, a coffee on as a youth pastor years ago. We used to run a coffee house down on Fort Lauderdale Beach in the old swimming Hall of Fame pool. And we'd have Music at night, and we'd offer free food, and we ministered to the college kids. And I remember we ran this kid down there that was just—I mean, he, he was bad. He hadn't had a bath in years, and it didn't seem like probably months, but it seemed like years. I mean, just he was terrible. He came in, and you know, he had the, had the language, and he had drug problems and all this stuff. But he came in and got saved. He's now pastoring a church in Ohio. You can't look—you can't look at the outward appearance. I said, you'll get this in a minute. I said, you, you, you'll get a hold of this in a minute. So he brings David in and David comes in. And look what he says to him. He says, then Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Now supporter, we see something here. That when he was anointed king, the spirit of God for kingship came upon him. He, he had it. Don't we like to sing, I got it. Yes, I got it. And then we go outside and we can't find out where it went. Watch David now. David goes back to take care of the sheep. But he had an anointing on his life now. So the king whom the kingdom had been taken from a bad spirit would come upon him. And his servant said, listen, if we can get somebody in here that could, because music can bring peace, can bring healing. You know, music is an emotional drug. And they said, well, let's search the kingdom. And this one little servant under the king said, I know somebody who can play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. See, what you need to understand, there's somebody who knows you that you don't even know they're talking about you. The very person that you don't know is probably the person God's going to use to put you where you need to be in position. So the king says, bring him in. And the Bible says, because of that anointing, he says he found favor with the king and he would play for the king. But once once he would do that and the king would be soothed, what would David do? He went back to taking care of his sheep. Oh, God. What? What? He was anointed king. He had the anointing. From that moment forward, he he was anointed to serve in that office. But he knew his position had nothing to do with his circumstance. My position is in the anointing and the gifting that God gave me and not in the circumstance that I find myself in. So David did what he did best. He just operated in his anointing in his circumstance until his position took him to where he needed to be. Now we go a little bit further. I'm gonna gonna speed it up. So David is tending the sheep and there's a battle that takes place between the Philistines. You can read it in the 17th chapter there. I'm not gonna go through that now because of time frame. But the Philistines, they had this giant by the name of Goliath. You know, it's it's kind of funny about that. One one script says he was nine and a half feet tall. Some said he was over 10 feet tall, depending on how you look at how you measure that. But he was a big man. His armor weighed between 150 and 200 pounds. His spear, it was tipped. The edge of his spear was tipped, and it was 20-pound tip. So when he hit you with a spear, there won't nothing left. His spear was, as they said, almost like a beam. And he would come out and he would challenge the children of Israel. This Goliath came out and said, listen, if you've got somebody that can defeat me, we'll serve you. But you have them come out here and meet me on the the battlefield. Here comes David. Because his father said, go check on your brothers and see how they're doing in this battle. Which, again, that's another story altogether. I don't have time to get into that. But there wasn't much of a battle going on. Nobody's fighting here. Okay, just a lot of, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, you know, just a lot of verbiage going on. I learned a long time ago that if somebody was going to fight me, they're going to be real. They're not going to have a lot of talk. If they're talking a lot, they don't want to fight me. They're just trying to get out of the fight. They're trying to talk yourself out of it. Come on, folks. But David comes along and he says, uh, and, they, and he hears them talking and they said, listen to the person who kills this giant. They're going to get the king's daughter. They're going to get to live in the palace. All of their family will now be living tax free. And so David says, are you serious? Is that really what's going to happen? So his brother, when he hears him, Eliab, he says, what are you doing here? And he begins to ridicule him. See, the moment you get ready to face your Goliath, don't expect your friends to hold your hands up. They're going to tell you you can't do it. They're going to tell you you're not going to make it. They're going to tell you this can't be done. They're going to say this is impossible. Why? Because they're looking at your circumstance thinking that's your position. But that wasn't Dave's position. His position was in his heart. I am the king. So David rehearses it, turns away from his brothers, rehearses it, and one of the servants, which probably was the servant that picked him out to be the one that would play the harp for the king, went to the king and told the king, and King Saul says, I know who David is because he played the harp for me. Bring him to me. See, oh Lord help me here. You could never have access to what you need if you've not been doing what you were already gifted to do. He was anointed king, but he had not been moved to that kingdomship yet. His position as a king was to take the gift that I had and rule over what I have. And what I have is the ability to watch these sheep and protect them. And I have the ability to play a harp and write psalms. So he kept watching the sheep and he kept. Writing psalms, he kept playing the harp because that's what his anointing as king gave him the ability to operate in authority in. Oh, God, help me here. See, if you're going to be a king or a queen, you've got to find out what your gift is so you can operate in that authority. Mm. Always want somebody else's kingdom, don't we? <laughs> I like that. They do. You can't. Why? Because that's their kingdom. So David now is brought before the king. And the king says something to David that's very unique. He says, You cannot defeat this giant because you've never been in a war. You're not you're, you're, not, you're not you're not you're not a soldier. You're a shepherd who plays a harp. David says, let me, let me, let me explain something to you. See, because I'm as king to king. Let me explain something to you. In my kingdom, when the bear and lion came and tried to steal my sheep, I killed them. That's in my kingdom. And now we have this uncircumcised Philistine coming against the armies of the living God. You don't understand, I have authority and rulership in that kingdom. Yes, sir. I, I, I'm in position for this. Oh, come on, I'm in po- See, I, I've been using my gift all this time. I've been acting like a king with my harp. I've been acting like a king, killing the lion and the bear. I've been acting like a king as a shepherd. You didn't realize, you thought I was just a stinky old shepherd, but I was developing my ability to be king. I'm just a doorkeeper. Develop your ability. I I, I take care of the children. Develop your ability. I clean the church. Develop your gift. Because there's coming a time, oh God, there's coming a time, there's a Goliath that you're going to face. And because you've been faithful where you are now with your gift as a king or a queen over your authority, then you will be able to take that Goliath on and destroy him. And that Goliath is standing in the way of your next move of God in your life. That he's standing in the way of the king's daughter. He's standing in the way of the treasures that come. He's standing in the way of your life in the palace. He's standing in your way of you fulfilling your purpose and destiny. I don't know what's standing in your way. But if you learn to take what God's given you, And live in rulership over it. Not to become something else. Rule where you are stationed. So the king says, well, I can't. I understand David said, I've already told my brothers that the only reason I'm here, and I want to take you back to this verse, is that is there not a purpose or a cause? There's a reason for me to be here. See, if you don't understand your reason for being here, it's hard to fight Goliath. It's hard to live in your, in your, in your authority of your kingdom. David said, okay, so the king says, here, put on my helmet. Excuse me? Put on my, put on my, my breastplate. Take take my shield, put on my my shoes. It is like us today. We see some preacher and we want to act like him. Come on, we see some singer and we want to sing like them. Really, amazing. We we, we like to watch America's Got Talent. And my favorite one of all, he didn't win this year because of all the things, but favorite one of all was Cody. Yeah. Blind, artistic, talked funny, but he had a gift. And when he sat down at the piano and began to sing, everybody forgot that he was blind. And they forgot that he had autism because his gift is where he was the king of. Oh, God, learn to be king with a gift that God's given you. Wow. So David said, it, said he started to go, and he said, whoa, wait a minute. And he takes the stuff off. He said, king, I appreciate it, but I can't wear this armor. Now, who are we talking to? We're talking about David. He's a shepherd. He's never had a sword in his hand. He's never worn... Any kind of armor. Come on, stay with me, folks. He's never been on a battlefield and had hand to hand combat with a human. Maybe, that, maybe this will help you a little bit with this. Remember his mighty men? What were they known for? Oh, I'm going along. Oh, look, there's a lion down there. I just jumped down to sport with him and kill him. See, because that was the anointing that was on David. He feared not man or animal. Same anointing came on them. They were practicing the anointing on their lives from the head to the beard to the skirts of the garment. David says, can't do this. But you know what? I know what I'm really good at. And the Bible says he goes down to the brook. (laughs) And he picks five smooth stones. Doesn't that look good? Here's our mindset. He goes down to the brook. Oh, there's a stone. There's oh, oh, okay. I got five stones. Let's go. Let's bring. No, 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 no. I can see David down at the brook right now, going. Nah, that's kind of rough. I, I can't use that one. Why would he do that? Because he knew what stone he needed to be successful. Oh God. Some of you need to know what stone you need in order to be successful against your Goliath. <clears throat> Most of us run in where, where angels fear to go. You want to talk about spiritual warfare? I'm trying to help you with this. So David, when he committed to fight Goliath, had never used a sword, had never worn armor, had never been in a physical battle with another human being. He had a shepherd's bag that was empty. I wonder how many of us have stuff that we're empty in. Empty in our mindset, empty in our spirit, empty in our vision. We're empty. We have nothing in our bag. What did David do? He said, I went to the thing I do best. And I went to the brook and I found five stones that I knew would fit my slingshot. Now, here's the prophetic side of it. Why would he choose five when he's fighting one? Because he had four brothers. And you know that if you take one brother on and knock him out, the others are coming. So he got a stone for, oh God, help me here. See, some of you get a stone for the moment and not for the season. You think I want a victory today and then tomorrow. You're going, oh God, pray that God. Wait a minute, where's your stones? Where's your bag? What'd you put in your bag? But see, he never lost sight of his position. He took an empty bag, went to a brook, found what he needed to put in that bag, and then he went to fight a a giant. Now, here's the funny part about it is. He's going to fight, oh, this this is amazing. He's going to fight this giant that when he defeats him, the very brothers that rejected him are going to get benefits. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about your victories who benefits from it. Let me say it. What do you care who benefits from it? It's your victory. And there's always tag alongs. So it doesn't bother me. So, aren't you upset? That, no, not really. Come on. You, what, what, what did we find when we talked about Moses and his father in law? He says, Come with us to the new land and you will be blessed. I don't care if you don't believe in my God. I don't care if you don't come from where I come from. If you come with us, you will reap the blessings that are with us. So don't worry about who gets blessed because you've been blessed. Just know that it's your position to operate in that area. So here's this, here's this shepherd. He runs out against this giant. I love this. And the giant says, you send me this child. You've embarrassed me. You're mocking me. You're making fun. I'm going to feed him to the fowls of the air. And David says, "Eh, no points. Because you see, you didn't define me. You think you're fighting me, but you're not. You're fighting God. And because of God's anointing on my life as king, Remember the words that you speak? You condemn the words that are against you? Remember that over? Oh, you forgot that, didn't you, over You condemn, that's your heritage. He immediately began to condemn him. He didn't wait and say, okay, let me, okay. No, no, he didn't even think about it. He didn't even strategize about it. He reaches in his hand, in his back, takes a stone out, gets the stone, runs towards the giant, releases the stone that hits the giant in the forehead, which is very unique because it's the only place in his helmet that was open. So he could see. You gotta understand something. God knows exactly where you need to hit the enemy. I gotta figure out, oh God, no, just just trust God. Here's the great thing though. So Goliath falls. The Bible says David runs on top, stands on top of him. Yeah. Ten foot tall man, he's huge. God only knows what the man weighed. Takes the, can you imagine what size that sword was? And here, I'm, I'm, I know I'm messing some of you up here. See, we get this idea that David took the sword, his head's gone. No, 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 no. David took the sword he'd never used. It was a sword he could barely wield. I wonder how many times he had to hit that neck to cut that head off. Sometimes you might have to hit that demonic spirit more than once. Watch watch this now. It's not enough to defeat him for the moment. You gotta defeat him for all eternity. Take these arrows, break them on the ground because you only hit it so many times. That's the only time. You, you know, instead of breaking them, sometimes you better make sure that when you go to battle that you have taken the enemy out 110% and he can never come back into your life. Show no mercy when you're dealing with the enemy. Now, why would I say that? Musicians come. Because David knew that by cutting his head off that way, not only would the enemy flee, but it was a message to the brothers. Mm. Sometimes we have to let the enemy know as a message. We walked into an office years ago. You heard me tell the story. We walked into the office years ago. And I was was an associate pastor, youth pastor of a church. And they had a lady in there. She was demon-possessed. She's throwing these guys all over the the room. These are deacons and elders. I walk in, they're just banging against the walls. Books are flying off the shelf. And I walked in. And all of a sudden, this lady stops, and she looks at me. She says, I know who you are. And the deacons are all like that. Seriously, you had to see him. It was comical. You should have seen Brother Harbor. He was like, I mean, he was white as a sheet. I said, well, if you know who I am, then you know I'm not gonna let you keep doing what you're doing. So in the name of Jesus, I take authority over you and all that are with you. And I send you back to hell. And you let her go at this moment. She went up in the air. She went down. The door flew open like a wind flew out. The people flew out out of the doorway. The lady's on the ground. She looks up. She shakes her head. She looks up and she goes, what am I doing? Why am I here? You see, when you serve, how do I know that? Because I had been with a man who had operated dealing with demonic spirits for years by the name of George Miller. And because I had learned under him and had been with him in the practice of delivering people, oh God, the demons knew I had some stones in my bag. Come on. See, when the enemy knows you got some stones in your bag, Trust me on this. It's a lot easier, but you've got to get first through your first Goliath. I said you get first, you got to get through your first Goliath. Now, once you get through that Goliath, get ready to partake. Oh, God, this is the latter part. Get ready to partake of the treasure. There is no Goliath that you will ever experience in your life. It does not have a treasure on the other side for you to be blessed, for you to be lifted up, for you to be established in everything about you. It's gonna take you to a dimension in the kingdom that the next time devil sees you, you're not in a shepherd anymore. God. David established for all of Israel to see his position and he wasn't even wearing a crown. But there was no option, there was no question. Saul kennethes his thousands, but David kills his tens of thousands. Kingdom business. I said kingdom business. And some of you are sitting here right now and you know you're out of position. You know you're out of position. You know you're operating in somebody else's armor. You know you've been watching somebody do something there and you're trying to identify identify with what they're doing. It's not what God's put in your heart. You know in your heart of hearts, that's not where you belong. Nothing worse than to be in a position that you want to use it as a stepping stone. Ooh, I'm messing somebody up now. To get to another place. When I became a youth pastor... I never dreamed of being anything else but a youth pastor. It's a true story, my wife can tell you. I've never sought anything in my life in that sense. When my dad called me to come be with him as a co-pastor, I never saw myself ever pastoring the church. Isn't that funny? I was a good co-pastor. We had in that building, 1500 State Road 7, one o'clock in the morning. Hey son, hey dad, what's going on? He said I just got word we got toilets that overflowed. You need to go over there and take care of them. But dad, I got first service tomorrow. I know that, but you need to get the toilets stopped and cleaned up. Okay, dad, why? Because I knew my position. I knew that God had an anointing on my life. I just didn't know where it was going to take me. But I knew I was anointed for ministry. So I had to use my gifting, which was to cause His arms to be held up as Aaron and her. And I never sought to be pastor. Isn't that funny? And because I I did that, I, I cleaned up, unstopped the bathrooms, cleaned up all of the, the stuff, got ready for Sunday. Because when we needed to to move stuff, I moved the furniture. When we needed to paint, I painted. When we needed to write a program, I wrote the program. I wrote the first children's program. I wrote the first youth program. I wrote I wrote the first Bible college we ever had. I wrote all of that. I did the, I did the uh, the. Uh, uh, Documents for our church to get our 501c3. I I filled out all the documents. I did all the legal work. I did all of that. My wife can tell you. Never wanted to be senior pastor. Just wanted my anointing. I knew I'd be called. But I never wanted what someone else had. I get a call. This is Dr. Oral Roberts. What do you mean, Dr. Or Roberts? I'm making fun of my friend. He said, no, this is not your friend. This is really Dr. Roberts. I've heard about you. What do you mean you've heard about me? i got a church of 400 people in Margate, Florida, and a, and a, and a, and a storefront. You, I've heard about you. you mind if I come visit you Sunday? Don't tell anybody I'm coming, because if you do, you won't win the crowd. You won't handle it. He showed up. I get a call two weeks later. I need you to come to Oklahoma, come out to Oklahoma, Tulsa. God, he says, I want you to be a region. I got four hundred people in my church. I'm a co-pastor, and you want me to sit on the most prestigious board in 1989 in the country, Old Roberts University. A region. I walk in there, and I'm sitting there with multimillionaires. I'm sitting there with major ministries. Yeah, you know, I'm looking around. There's Ryan Bonnke who's preaching to a million people at a pop, and here I am with four hundred on Sunday morning. Because you see, my position had nothing to do with my location. Oh, God, Jesus. See, when God calls you and you allow him to position you, it has nothing with where you are. Take your gift where you are and begin to exercise it and you're the authority that God has given you with that gift and let it be a blessing. Mm. Okay, I'm getting ready to close. God always looks at the heart. If you're writing notes, God always looks at the heart. Number two, the anointing of one's gift never fails them. Your anointing of a gift will never fail you. Your gift will create favor when used to bless others. Your gift will create favor when used to bless others. Number four, respect and honor will always position you. Number five, the giants in your life will be your doorway to success. And last but not least, the cause or purpose of life is your right to passage. He'll put that up on the screen. What are you saying to me? There's somebody sitting here today that you know that God has called you, but you've allowed yourself to get pulled in nine different directions. I'm going to pray for you right now. There's some of you sitting here and you've been trying to figure out, why am I not operating where I'm supposed to operate? And it's because you've gotten out of position instead of getting in position where God's called you. In position is not easy. I said it's not easy. You gotta fight to stay in position. It's called the fight of faith. You gotta tear down imaginations. But when you get in position, you're ready now to receive. Oh. Thank you for listening. We trust that what you heard today has encouraged you to live the abundant life. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on our website, AbundantLife.tv or follow us on Instagram at AbundantLife underscore TV and Facebook at Come to Life. And remember, God is a good God. He loves you and he wants to bless you.